Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, malcontents. This is Kelly, the voice of Romy in the sleep-wake cycle. I also voice Vive and the Red Mother and Antonia in the Damnation Machine series over on the Maltopia podcast. With only a few episodes left of season one, we just wanted to share a quick update with you and give you a sense of where the sleep-wake cycle is headed. After the season one finale in April, we'll be posting a few weekly interseason bonus episodes featuring the Maltopia team. The four of us will be discussing the sleep-wake cycle, the literary world of Maltopia, horror and dark fiction, writing, podcasting, and more. We'll also be answering questions from our Patreon community. So if you have anything specific you'd like to ask us, join our Patreon using the link in the description and ask away. While you enjoy these creator discussion episodes, we'll be hard at work on season two of The Sleep-Wake Cycle, which will premiere sometime in May. And for behind-the-scenes creator videos, early access to podcast episodes, written Mailtopia mythology pieces, and our brand-new Patreon-exclusive podcast miniseries, October's Children, join our growing community at patreon.com slash Mailtopia. And for additional updates, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You won't be sorry. From all of us here at Mailtopia, thank you so much for listening to The Sleep-Wake Cycle and The Mailtopia Podcast. We look forward to sharing many more stories with you over the coming years, and none of it would be possible without your support and donations. So once again, thank you from all of us, and enjoy the episode. My life had become little more than a series of brief interruptions within an otherwise continuous nightmare. I realized with the grimmest finality that there had never been any hope for my brother and me. How could there be, born of monsters as we were? Conceived inside a nightmare, we would die in one as well. Isaiah already had. My brother who I'd left stretched out in the middle of a filthy cave. I couldn't deny that there was a part of me, a dirty little secret I kept even from myself, except on the worst of days, like this one, that knew I had in my possession a standing offer to rejoin the horrors that had made me. I knew he would have me back, that creature from the north end of nightmares, Whatever he turned out to be, father or otherwise, I knew it as clearly as I knew my own name. To say that I was prone to fantasy was like saying I liked coffee, but I couldn't help myself from imagining the things I could do in the name of vengeance, if I took up that unspoken offer. Vengeance for Isaiah, 
for myself for having been torn screaming into this shit show of howling inequity. And it wouldn't just be that worthless bunch here and in Nighthead that'd get it. No, not just the agents of the walking dark, but the Esoterium, too. Their little games. Playing with us like we didn't matter. I'd make them happy to staple their eyelids to their foreheads if it meant they could stay out of sleep. Away from me. And who knew? Maybe I wasn't fantasizing at all. Kilroy and Golturo's corpses were real enough. I had killed, and I felt just fine. I found morality hard to come by in life. The things I had seen and been made to do. The way the world worked itself out when everyone was sleeping. I guess it was a small point of light for me. A little glowing barrier between me and the filth I contended with on the regular. I really didn't ponder the matter. No philosophical analysis of the topic. Just a small, unexamined belief that by not killing, I was better than those that did. It was enough to make me feel better about my job, where I came from, who, what I was. But now, having actually killed... I almost felt better for it. I'd finally assumed the true weight of who I was, wiped away the cobwebs, accepted myself. It almost seemed wrong to waste my epiphany only moments after I'd come by it. I mean, what was I doing anyway? What could I achieve by getting myself killed, even if I did manage to stick it to Nyquist in the process? Just who precisely was responsible for Isaiah's death? Those most directly involved were dead, and by my hand. But the ones who sent us to the slaughter were alive and well, kicked back in their dark places, enjoying a mixed drink, waiting for a progress report. If I just bailed right here and now, it would more than serve as a nice fat kick in the pants. And what could they do about it? Even without my brother's pedigree as a professional stalker, I could put him to shame with the places I could hide. They'd never see me again. At least not before I wanted them to. When it was too late for them. But as was the way with all fantasies, reality started to seep into my dream of unchecked villainy, dispersing it. I was going to kill Nychrist and likely die in the process, because I wasn't going to let him kill any more people. It was really that simple. Sure, I'd seen horrible things in my life, especially in the course of my work. But I'd seen goodness, too. Even beauty. It was for their sakes, and certainly not the Esoterium's, that I was going to see this job through to the bitter end. This was the real difference between Isaiah and me. He had never seen the good. They had him out killing killers since he could hold those guns of his. It was no wonder he'd been so down on the world. My poor brother. The path I traveled wasn't entirely unlike any other nightmare I might have found myself traipsing through, save that this one was far less receptive to my influence. Only the makeshift golden torch kept the darkness at bay, and with every flicker of the flame it seemed to flounder across the rags I'd made of Kilroy's robe. 
The darkness pressed in around me, eager to savor whatever sins I had left to offer it. But then the flame would bounce back, chasing it away. A continuous struggle with no happy ending for the flame. I had no real idea what my chances of making it to Nyquist were, let alone managing to kill him. Without Isaiah to silence the dark, I was pretty sure anyone plugged into it would see me coming a mile away. I was banking on dumb luck at this point. The slimmest possibility that things might line up for me, against all odds, and give me the shot I needed. The shot I deserved. A door materialized from the dark before me. Fairly standard-looking, something that might well open into someone's bedroom. I'd been pulling pretty hard at the nearby dreamscape, but there was still no telling where it came from. It might have been dream, or darkness, or solid earth, or some accidental combination of all three. Carelessly, I flung it open, eager to greet whatever might be lurking behind it with a gut full of razor-sharp Balak. But there was nothing. Just endless dunes of shifting ash and the occasional obsidian-like pillar rising from the ground, stretching infinitely into a sky trembling with the thinnest, darkest red light, the bloodiest twilight ever to die upon the horizon. And naturally, there was the Tower of Pitch again, or at least a more concentrated and stable manifestation of it. Everything was a guessing game at this point, the world lost to the royal of a dimensional hodgepodge. But this time around, a different sight led up to the tower. The apostates, merely twelve silhouettes in the distance, but each one a supernatural juggernaut. I could vouch for at least one of them, the crone dragon who wielded time like a cudgel. Before I took another step, I needed to ditch the fire. I'd be spotted for sure. Whether the darkness had already ratted me out or not, I wasn't going to go prancing around out there with what amounted to a big burning sign over my head declaring, Hey, look at me, here I am! I'd given my next move some thought and was fairly sure it could work. With the current status of local reality more or less uncertain, I reasoned that I might pull at the dreaming realm, wrap it around myself. It wasn't as tricky a move as the one Isaiah and I had pulled back in the half-realm, so I had some hope, but I also didn't have my brother reinforcing my play. Snuffing the torch in a nearby ash pile, the darkness rushed in, heavy and oppressive. I relaxed my focus, allowing the world around me to soak in. The wind and bleeding light and calamity and death fell into me like a deep breath. The nearest dreams were like ghosts, dead and drifting things, no longer tethered to their dreamers. Compliments of the consensual slaughter that had taken whatever was left of the citizens of Maros. This fact made them easier to gather, if more fragile and likely to dissolve, leaving me exposed to the dark all over again. My effort manifested with dramatic effect, dressing me in the gossamer flesh of cast-off dreams, a cloak of darksome, billowing nightmare. The flowing garment put me beyond the clutch of darkness, partially detaching me from the emergent bulge of endless night, just a ghost wandering the ashes. Hugging the side of one of the massive pillars where it corkscrewed into the ashen earth, 
I stayed out of sight of the apostates where they gathered at the base of the tower, their heads lifted to the massive balcony that protruded hundreds of feet above them. Doubtless the very spot where Nyquist intended to waltz out and proclaim his ascendancy. That is, he would, if he wasn't going to come down with a sudden case of being stabbed to death with a golden dagger. The carriage pulled by monsters moved past me in the darkness, its gray lanterns burning like bad omens. I jumped onto the back of it, quietly and with relative ease. Its construction felt uncertain beneath my grip, like it was still deciding whether it wanted to be solid or not. There wasn't any opening in the coach, so I had no idea who or what was inside. In fact, I was only partially sure that it was headed in the direction I needed it to go. But this was old Knight Christie's coming-of-age bash. I had to figure all roads led to the party. It took a while for the thing to finally come to a halt, passing through a massive and glassy dark archway that opened into a huge plain of tottering soot piles and tall pillars. The sky was jet black, save for a dim streak of deep red that leaked down from the horizon, like the sun had cut itself on the way down. We came to a halt just beside one of the huge pillars that disappeared into the sky. The team of horse squid things nestling down into the loose ash. The carriage didn't so much as creak when something in a sackcloth robe came shuffling down from the coach box. It opened the carriage door and bowed with a single sweeping movement. A figure dressed all in gray slowly stepped out. It was tall and gangly, almost insectoid by the way it unfolded itself to its full height. It was facing away from me, where I left the carriage and crouched behind a dune of ash, so I couldn't tell what it was. After a little effort, the robed thing carefully untied an ornate easel and a single stretched canvas from the top of the dark conveyance. The gray figure pointed to a distant hill, and the figure obediently hobbled over to it. Once at the designated spot, the cloaked coachman began setting up the easel, reverently placing the canvas upon it. After a quick jaunt back to the carriage, the coachman was back at the easel, fastening it to a tray of assorted paints and brushes. With this completed, the shambler returned to his seat atop the vehicle, the beasts rising to his whispered, incoherent command, and then it was gone, ash wheeling in the black air. It was a man, or at least it looked like one, who gazed out from behind his easel, at the black tower rising above the dunes. After delicately selecting a dab of dark paint from his palette, he laid brush against canvas, carefully calling forth the slender and ominous shape of the tower. His style was immediately recognizable to me, as was the general subject, dark tragedies. This was the mysterious painter called Denzel Gremmel. His work, especially his pieces concerning the Great Darkness, 
done apparently during the Great Darkness, were well known in some of the circles I'd traveled. Consulting experts in the occult was occasionally necessary in the course of my work. His presence gave me pause, not for the fact that I laid eyes on the artist, an unheard of event as far as I know, but that he was present at all. Does a guy like that come out for a tragedy if it wasn't all but screwed down? I had a hard time imagining someone like Denzel Gremmel throwing in the towel, packing up his paints on the count of rain and calling a cab home. Was this whole thing fated? Did we even have a chance? Strangely, the cold mother offset my concerns. She was still betting on me, and I was pretty sure she was higher up the food chain than even the enigmatic painter. But the very fact I was willing to take solace from that monster said something about how bad I was willing to hope against hope, if only for Romy's sake. And it wasn't just a fighting chance the monster had given us. I'd been back from the White Woods for a while now, and hadn't ticked once. Or, for that matter, needed to perform some ridiculous ritual to stave off an even more ridiculous paranoia. Maybe this was a preview of what being perfected, or repaired, felt like. It was nice, sure, but uh, as for me, I'd stick with the tics and obsessions. They were a far cry better than a smile full of moving metal parts any day. At any rate, the slight but ever-increasing twinge moving into the muscles around my eyes signaled my reprieve would be short-lived. Better the devils you know and all that jazz. While I wasn't sure, I was thinking that the dying red light was a measurement of how much real was left to the real world, how complete the takeover by the bulge of darkness. I needed to make the tower before the conjunction was complete. Going through the twelve apostates, well, that wasn't an option. No matter how much wind I had blowing through my sails, I'd be no match for a gang like that. Still. With my power itching to go, I figured I could pull the same trick as before, bypass the dark dimension for a shortcut through my home turf, provided that is, my home turf was still around. I kept out of sight as I trudged through the thickening dark, keeping to the inside of the deeper ash pits. Every time I snatched a glimpse of the apostates, twelve figures carved blacker than murder against the blood-red death of my reality, I could feel my hackles rise. But the response wasn't just caused by what they were here to do, but by what they stood for. The other side of the coin. The part that shouldn't exist. Magic. Voodoo. Sorcery. The Fantastic. The anathema of common sense. It was there with the exopaths, uh, sure, but these guys brought it out of me in buckets. It was still separate from me, the response. Something I could objectify. The power wasn't me, not entirely, not yet. But, with my little visit to the White Woods, to the Cold Mother, I could feel it gaining ground. The part of me that was still me just wanted to use the apostates for target practice. That'd be the dumbest of all plays, uh, sure, but it was a clean response. All mine. 
I just rounded one of those huge black obelisks when something massive passed overhead. I could feel it. The signature soul-souring darkness turned up to eleven. Wings, the darkest wings, swept massive and monstrous above me, flattening the atmosphere below them. The pressure was incredible. I, I couldn't even look up. When it passed completely over me, I could hear the sweetest, most horrible song. Notes dipped in hell and honey. The chorus told the oldest story. Fear and wonder. My power, where it lived in my bones, if not quite my soul, howled back at the sound, defiant and impotent. The beating wings had kicked up an ash storm, billions of black flakes whispering across my skin, the thinnest refrain to the song overhead. With the resounding presence sufficiently beyond me, I lifted my eyes in the direction it traveled. It didn't take a genius to guess where it landed. She was beautiful and terrible in ways as wide and ruined as the world. An angel, I presumed, standing atop the tower from another world, midnight tresses playing wild in the dark. Her halo was round and blackened, the orbit of a dead world mindlessly wheeling. Her wings were the final darkness, silencing the last light draining across the horizon. They fanned out behind her like conjoined eternities, their silken sheen all the light left in the universe. I'd seen her hundreds if not thousands of times before, standing sentinel over the temples and houses and bridges of Nighthead. Umbriel, the angel of restless shadows. Her statues and placards were ubiquitous within the nocturnal city the most common symbol for the religion where salvation was as close as the setting sun. I could honestly say that none of the renditions of her, cultivated by even the most talented hands, did her a shred of justice. Seeing her in person bordered on revelation. Moving directly above the glistening angel, a blacked-out point of infinite sin, the Star of Dis. <laughs> Denzel Gremmel must have been in his glory over that sight. It was now or never. The light was gone, the conjunction barreling down on me like an out-of-control semi. I sprinted the last several yards, summoning a storm of stolidness the likes of which I'd never known, and leapt towards the tower. I blew through the dark dimension and the walls of the tower like they weren't even there. My power was in rare form, that was for sure. It took another burst of my ability to clear the air, put the dark on its heels. I couldn't see a thing, but I could tell I was splayed out across some creaky wooden steps, my slightest movement echoing through the rickety things. My hands questing about, I finally caught hold of something, something small and wrapped in plastic. A mint. One after another, I followed them up the stairs, slowly but surely. The dark's knack for distorting time was also in rare form, making me question whether I'd ever been anything other than a man in the dark, forever climbing an endless flight of stairs, his previous life just a dream, 
a hopeless hope for a world without countless invisible steps. I stopped to take a breath when a gigantic sound shook the noisy timbers beneath me, an ocean liner running aground, or two realities settling into the depths of one another, locking together, becoming one. A blast of wind howled up from below, the atmosphere shifting, thickening, freezing. They came slowly, methodically, purposefully, Footsteps climbing up from the depths. The slow, inexorable march of a prince of darkness. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone, and the Sleep-Wake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the Sleep-Wake Cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Maltopia, head over to maltopia.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,